Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Delighted to be back with you again this week. And this week, I think we have a very special program and one I've been looking forward to for a long time because everybody is concerned about transportation and how fast our state is growing and how many needs we have in the area of transportation. And so we have as our guest this week, Eric Boyette, who is the Secretary of Transportation for the state of North Carolina. And uh, we'll introduce him and let him start talking in just a moment. But first of all, let me tell you that uh, the Department of Transportation includes not only highways and roads, but also aviation, ferries, rail, public transit, bicycle, pedestrian transportation, and the Department of Motor Vehicles. So it's a, it's a big, 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 big job. So Eric, welcome to the program. Delighted to have you with us. And uh, uh, I know that you've got lots of interesting information about us. And so I'm going to start off by asking you about the impact of COVID-19 and how that's changed your operation and what it's uh, the situation that it uh, puts the Department of Transportation into as we look at your needs today. Sure, sure. That's a great question. And I can tell you when um, I first uh, arrived back in DOT, I'm a 25 plus year, I'm not going to say how many total year uh, veteran with the department, but I was actually over as secretary for department information, came back in 2020, about two weeks before COVID hit. Um, so, you know, for us, our revenue you know, is generated mainly from uh, gas tax and when people stopped driving, we saw our revenue plummet. Um, so we really had to, you know, really tighten our belt and look at things that were, you know, specifically safety oriented um, around our expenditures to make sure we were, you know, doing what's best for the traveling public and also monitoring our budgets uh, appropriately. So it, it was really challenging, but our team, as they always do, stepped up and did a great job. Um, we had to delay some things like mowing cycles and litter pickup. But, you know, those things we have obviously picked back up now. Uh, we're, we're back where we can, you know, spend our, our budget appropriately on the items that we need to that are really helping North Carolina look clean and green. And we're just glad that we could do that. And it also impacted, you know, our staff. We, we did a great job of the ones who could work remote. We don't have as many opportunities for that as other departments do because we are very service oriented for our traveling public between the ferry operators or transportation workers, our DMV license examiners. There's a lot of opportunity there where we're face to face with our customers. So we couldn't do remote work there, but where we could, we switched to remote work um, as best we could. And, you know, we've, we went through that process and started back um, you know, back to normal operations, uh, maybe about a year later when everyone started to, you know, see the pandemic subside a little bit and feel more comfortable about how it looks to us you know, in the future. But it was, it was a challenging time, but the good thing is, you know, our finances are very stable and we're, we're just glad to get to this point where we are today. Well, so much of your work has to be long range planning. And so you had certain goals for each year. Did that basically put the plans off in some cases and delay them? Or are you back to where you can look at your calendar and say, we're kind of back on schedule? It, it you know, you bring up a great point. One of the things that we saw, not only with, you know, our sales with our agency, but our contract workforce, you know, they experienced the same things we did. They have to 
you know, they had to do some delays. Uh, the you know, workforce had to change some. So with that, we did experience some delays in projects um, because of the workforce issues and, you know, having to make sure that we were ready uh, and also our contractors were ready, the availability that they had with their workers. So it did push some of our projects back um, and, you know, we continue to look at projects. We work with our communities well on how, what's important to them because the way we do selection is, it is based on the community needs through, um, through our prioritization projects and they have the inputs on what they want in their communities. We're there to help execute those needs. Well, North Carolina, of course, is a rapidly growing state. And of course, that growth is kind of uneven, but it uh, presents a situation where uh, the 20 or so counties that are growing very rapidly have one set of problems. And yet uh, the other 80 counties uh, need the transportation uh, in order to uh, begin their growth or return to a period of growth where they can develop economically as well. How do you decide what comes first? What, in the budget process, uh, what, what goes into deciding if, say, we've got $100 million to spend, where that's spent and how, how do you decide who gets what when? <laughs> so uh, another great question, and that's where you know, our prioritization work group um, and our MPOs, our metropolitan planning organizations, and our rural planning organizations, our RPOs, you know, they meet with the um, citizens and with the locals, the officials, elected officials, and they really work on what the needs are in that region. And we work with them, you know, hand in hand and work at priorities. Um, so we've got, you know, regional needs, statewide needs, and division needs that we separate those categories into, and we weight them in a scoring system and based on our STI law, our strategic transportation law. And that's what helps us guide through that process. So, you know, the, the department doesn't get to pick the, the projects. Um, we are there to help, you know, move through the process and then in the end make sure they're executed on and delivered on and that's where you know we're making sure that we're as transparent as we can be and ensure all of the citizens and the the locals understand where we are on their projects now uh you know one of the in many respects uh uh you're faced with the same problem a hospital is when they remodel or try to grow uh you've got to keep going while you're growing and I know a lot of the highways that you're expanding, you have to keep traffic moving. And uh, how much does that slow down a project versus just building a, a brand new highway? How much longer does it take, uh, for example, on Highway 70 south of Raleigh, uh, that uh, tremendous amount of construction that's going on where you're converting from two lanes to four lanes and so forth versus just building new construction? Sure, it, it is more challenging, obviously, when you already have commuters uh, on your routes, and you know, have a lot of <laughs> Yes, sir. Yeah, we, we have a lot of a uh, lot of automobiles on our roads right now. We've got about nine million registered vehicles in North Carolina alone, so we've got a lot of uh, automobiles ready to hit the road. But it is you. Exactly. I, I want to be sure I heard that. We've got nine million registered vehicles. Yes, sir. Around nine million registered vehicles on the roadways and we've got 10 million people so that's almost one per person <laughs> <laughs> yes sir i think some may wow. have two but yes sir <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> but 
but we do. We've got, you know, and you're exactly right. Anytime we do what we call a, a new green or a greenfield route where, you know, it's a it's a new road being built without any traffic. Uh, it is a lot easier. Um, but, you know, when we do have routes that we have to expand or we have to modify, you know, our contractors do a great job of looking at those volumes and bringing us great proposals around, you know, is it better to do, you know, night work? Is that better for not only you know the traffic volumes but the communities as well? So you know we really work with them on the design side and the you know PE to preliminary engineering to find out what is best for the area and how do we handle it. Um, and it's one of those things where you know during that process it's very frustrating I think for a lot of our drivers, me included, because I'm I take the roads just like everyone else. But the end result is very positive for you know the community when we finalize that project and open that roadway from your point like from a two lane to a four lane or if we're increasing you know the amount of um, you know uh, bicycle and pedestrian traffic that we can add to that route that's always a plus as well so how do we you know how do we work on all of our modes in the area so we can ensure that we're covering all of our areas of transportation I want to spend a good bit of time in a future segment of this program talking about your budget and where money comes from and is the model uh, that's basically based on gasoline tax, is that model going to supply you with the funds you need? But I've got another question I want to ask you. I was traveling on Highway 70 to Moorhead City last week and I saw a sign, I think around uh, Kinston, that said future interstate. Now, what does that mean, future interstate? Yes, sir. So future uh, I-42. So it's, it's a designation by our federal partners that we, you know, we're looking at expansion of that roadway to allow for it to be an actual interstate designation. Um, there's some things that we have to do there to you know, ensure it meets those qualifications. But right now, the, the way the roadway is aligned and um, the intersections that are there there's not a lot of you know at grade intersections or convenience for uh, side traffic to hit that route um, we're you know we're working towards you know those goals to when you see those signs our goals are to make that an interstate route um, it's so very that good that would mean getting rid of things like stoplights at interchanges is that correct it is and anytime you anytime you're there if you have you know just a side street that's coming over you know it may not have a signal and just have a stop sign there so any of the at grade crossings that you see like that you know we would have to remove um, so we really try to focus on if there's a process for that in the future or a thought for another route that wants to be an interstate route how do we plan ahead and work with the locals and the, you know the community to ensure that you know, we, we try to limit as many of those at grades as we can so that it's prepared for, you know, the future interstate routes and we can consider it as an interstate route as soon as possible. Okay, now I've got a personal question. I go to Moorhead <laughs> City, that's where I vacation. And of course, right now I'm having to drive right straight through Havelock. Right. There's a bypass built around uh, and it looks like it's been under construction for a good while. What, where is the status of it? Like I said, this is a personal question. When's that, <laughs> that, when's that bypass going to be where Don Curtis can travel on it? That, that is a great question. I'm going to have to get you the answer to that one. Um, I know they're making great progress. That's one of the projects that um, they're really making good progress on. Uh, I've seen a lot of the aerial video lately. Um, 
and looking at the progress. And I can tell you it is on time. Um, but I do not know. Honestly, I don't want to tell you a, a fiction novel here and tell you something that's not accurate. So I, we will get you that day. Well, I would love to have it because I think there's something like 25 stoplights I have to go through. Now, they have done a pretty good job of timing those stoplights to where yes. uh, it moved through pretty rapidly. But that's going to really speed up travel from Raleigh to uh, Moorhead City considerably because I'm, I'm guessing that'll have 15 or, or deduct 15 to 20 minutes from the trip down there. So that's the reason I'm so anxious to to find out when. And I want you to do it. I'm getting old. You need to You need to get on with this so that I can uh, enjoy that road uh, for more than just a couple of years. I need to enjoy that road for about 10 or 12 years. So uh, as a personal favor, if you uh, how about speeding that thing up a good bit? Our guest is Eric Boyer. And as I said in the next segment, we're going to talk about the budget and where the funds come from that uh, Eric at the North Carolina uh, Department of Transportation has to deal with in building our roads and upgrading them and, of course, all the other functions that that, that department does as well. And we'll do that when we come back right after these messages. To some people, the sound of a baby babbling doesn't mean much. But that's not necessarily true. By six months, they're combining vowels and consonants. By nine months, they're trying out different kinds of sounds. And by 12 months, their babbling is beginning to take on some meaning. Especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Early screening and intervention can make a lifetime of difference and unlock a world of possibilities. Take the first step at AutismSpeaks.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. 
Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. A reminder that a number of our stations carry a half-hour version of this program, while others carry the full hour. If you happen to be listening to one of the stations that carries the half-hour version, and you'd like to hear the two segments that you missed, one of which involved budgets, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear those two segments, as well as a repeat of the entire broadcast if you'd like to share it with a friend. Our guest this week is Eric Boyette. He's the uh, Secretary of Transportation of the State of North Carolina. He's been in the job two years and a couple of three months. He was uh, he came in right with COVID, as a matter of fact, and that created a very interesting transition for him, I'm sure. Uh, we've talked about all sorts of things, including the budgets and the and the safety concerns and the fact that North Carolina is growing rapidly. And one of the things that he mentioned that I want to repeat before we get to ask him another question, and that is we have 9 million registered car uh, vehicles in North Carolina and 82,000 miles of roads. That's what this department has to look after in addition to these other areas. And one of those other areas is very important to our future, and that's North Carolina ports, and that also falls under your uh, your uh, department. So, Eric, why don't you tell us about North Carolina's ports and how important they are to North Carolina's economy? Sure, and I, you know, especially during the times that we're seeing right now, um, we've um, you know the shipping, you know, su- the supply chain issues and everything you're seeing. We've got two deep water um, terminals and one inland port uh, serving Carolina, the Port of Wilmington, the Port of Moorhead, and then our inland terminal, which is in Charlotte. So, you know, the way those you know, operations are working with over you know, 4 million tons of general cargo that they process a year uh, and about a thousand ships, you know, call on our ports annually. So it, it's just the volume of what we're seeing increase through both ports and our inland port. It's just tremendous, and you know we've set capacity records uh, last year. We're on a track to do that again this year, and very business focused. Um, that team there, led by Brian Clark, they do a great job of you know recruiting. Uh, we've done a great job of launching into a, a new area for uh, refrigeration, and how do we work with you know goods, you know shipments there for refrigerated needs, a lot of grocery store, you know, items and things like that they're working through. And we've been great uh, to look at, you know, expansion. How do we invest in our ports? Um, So we're continuing to do that. And it's just, you know, with the ports, I mentioned, you know, our CCX facility, the Carolina Connector, and that partnership has just been, it's just been phenomenal. And, you know, how we work together uh, for the future and it, you know, we continue to invest, continue to look at, you know, the opportunities there for our ports and how, you know, they recruit um, has been phenomenal for me to watch them grow uh, within my short time here. It, it, we say you had 4 million uh, tons of, and 1,000 ships. How much capacity do we have remaining? How much could we handle at full capacity? When you look at the general cargo, um, we we do about 5,000, it's a little over 5,000 containers, uh, container moves a week. Um, and that volume continues to grow. So, you know, when you look at the capacity, it's one of those things that, you know, we continue to have those record years. So we look at, you know, those volumes and I'm not sure that, you know, we know what the cap is right now because we continue to grow and our team continues to find ways to, accept that growth and ensure that our ports 
are not only can take the growth, but they also continue to do uh, what they call is turnaround time. So as those trucks hit the port, they want to get in and get out quickly. And you know, our team is is very focused on that, not only accepting the new growth, but also the turnaround time, which makes us very uh, attractive from, you know, cargo shipments. And, but yeah, those, those general cargo has continued to grow every year, as well as our container gate movements. So it, it's just, you know, I don't know that we have a match right now. We'll continue to grow, continue to watch that growth. Um, but that team, that team does amazing things with making sure that all that new cargo, you know, we have ways to get them in and out of that gate efficiently, which is very important in, you know, that industry. Well, we've seen uh, those scary pictures of the ports in on the West Coast where the ships are uh, not able to, to dock because there's no space. And then if you do dock, there's no space to unload because the loads on the shore have not been distributed. We haven't had any of those supply problems, have we, in North Carolina? No, no, sir. One of the things that, you know, our biggest issue is we watch for any type of, um, you know, what we call blank shipments. And if we have a shipment coming over that for whatever reason, whether it be storms or they're redirected, you know, we're we're constantly in contact with the manufacturers and the shippers to make sure that we're ready. And like I said, the, the CX, the CCX opportunities really helped us because uh, they have ability there to offload and store as well as what we have internally on our ports and just continuing to look at the volumes and how do you plan. And that's one thing that this leadership team does good at the ports is plan ahead and look for you know those opportunities when you see them and how are we going to handle. Uh, I've done a great job both in Moorhead and um, at Wilmington. I'm going to skip back to a subject that I should have asked earlier in the program. I-40 and I-85 are paralleled together for a number of miles between Raleigh-Durham and Greensboro, and uh, the roads have been expanded and expanded, and now for the most part, most of that is four-lane, but it's still very crowded. What happens when that those roads get overloaded? Where are the alternative routes are there any alternative routes being planned to take the burden off that that stretch that covers so much of the transportation and uh, vehicles in North Carolina? So what we normally do is we'll look at, it's called an ADT, an average daily traffic. Um, and we take those counts frequently to look at the volumes on our routes. And what we have, uh, 14 divisions that manage um, their areas and that division would, you know, they're looking at what, you know, when they get to a certain level, peak level that they feel, you know, we need to look at some alternate travel routes, you know, that would be the thing that each division does. And, you know, 40 and 85 will be no exception uh, to those processes. And I know that they're continuously looking at not just those routes, but all of our routes, because, you know, we have, multiple routes that at some point in time, we've got to look at a future capacity of those roadways. And what does that mean for surrounding routes? Does it mean we have a new segment of roadway? Do we have a bypass? Um, what are some things that we need to do to alleviate congestion? And it goes back to funding. So no matter what we look at, we've got to have the dollars, uh, future revenue to be able to do those things and why it's so important. You know, when we talk about budget, it's that future revenue and 
you know, this is just another item that would be on there for uh, attention and expansion of anything that we're doing. Well, that's, that's uh, something that, that I think everyone's kind of interested in because I guess you'd be building a bypass around the bypass, which is sort of incredible to think about. Uh, you know, the other problem that you have is uh, unexpected growth. For example, the, the VinQuest uh, manufacturing plant is going to have 7,000 employees. How do you plan for traffic in those areas? Those roads weren't built to have that kind of traffic during uh, uh, commute time. When do sure. you start working on that? Immediately. <laughs> um, one of the, Immediately one of the great Alex Center? Yes, sir. Uh, yesterday, as I was uh, I told the other day, but yeah, we've been fast. Um, you know, with the great partnership we have with our commerce uh, division and also the General Assembly. Um, you know, as we're looking at those routes, we're we're also telling you know our partners how much it would cost to increase. You know the the much needed uh, roadway work there, and they've been great at you know telling us yes we we agree. Uh, we need to fund those. So we've been, you know, great partnership there, um, and we continue to find ways to work with uh, not only, you know, with our commerce uh, division, but also with the General Assembly on not only are you going to have, you know, this great opportunity for VinFast and the manufacturing, but to your point, we've got to provide, you know, the infrastructure network there that they need to be successful. Uh, and so far, that's been very successful for us and planning that out. Um, for them and also at the Toyota site. During one of our breaks, I asked Eric if there was anything that we had not covered that he would like to cover, and he brought up something that everybody is concerned about these days. But uh, it is a matter of major concern, uh, not only for his department, but for almost all businesses and all forms of government. But that's the matter of human resource development and hiring. Uh, so uh, you apparently need a, have a lot of open positions and the need for new people. Tell us a little bit about that and how people can get information about going to work for the North Carolina Department of Transportation. Absolutely. So we're sitting you know, at about a 20, 22% vacancy rate in our department. We're about 8,000, a little over 8,000 headcount here in our entire department. And just in motor vehicles alone, you know, we've got over 100 vacancies there just at our Rocky Mount office. And, you know, we've done things like job fairs. Um, when QVC had their unfortunate, you know, fire, we made sure that, you know, a job fair there was, you know, the first hour we dedicated just for the QVC employees. Um, so, you know, always opportunities across our great state. Look at our, uh, go to our website and you can find our job openings there. And apply please <laughs> we've, we've got needs all across our great state and you know from a driver's license examiner from a temporary temporary employee to a transportation worker to engineering accounting you know if you think of it we probably have an opportunity for you so just continue to look um, on our postings and you know we'll we'll do a lot of through linkedin and pushing out as much recruitment as we can uh, but we do have a couple job fairs that you know we ensure that we attend and make sure people know about them so yes please 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 thank you for that so, so uh, shameless plug for me oh no it's, it's you know this is a problem that everyone's having we i suspect we've got about uh, uh, 
about the same percentage of openings in our company, and I, I know almost all employees do. We've got about 30 seconds uh, left uh, for you to tell me what's uh, the top of your agenda as you go to work uh, tomorrow and next week. What What's at the top of your agenda right now? What are the things you're most concerned with, especially with the General Assembly being in session and, and um, so forth? So I think for me, it's, uh, you know, it's future revenue. Future revenue for us is very critical to, you know, deliver on the projects that our citizens need and want. And, you know, our, our manpower, ensuring that, you know, we have staffing levels that we need to also continue to provide the level of service that our citizens need and request from us and, you know, should want and should need. They're the two, the top two right now. Great. Eric, thank you so much for spending time with us. Eric Boyette, the Secretary of uh, Transportation for the state of North Carolina. Our program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week on the same group of stations all across North Carolina. That's until next week, same time, same station. But you and yours have a very, very good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.